You know what I'm excited about this year uh, when it comes to Easter? Yes, Easter Sunday. I love it. It is, it is um, one of the, my two favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, I love all Sundays, but these obviously stand out above the rest. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about is, yeah, we're gearing everything towards Easter, but this year we're going we're gonna to shift things up a little bit, and we're actually going to gear for the four weeks after Easter. Uh, we're going to put all of our like marketing and publicity and all that kind of stuff towards what's going to happen after Easter Sunday. And you may be kind of wondering, why in the world would we do that? Well, the main reason is, is that on Easter Sunday, we're going to be communicating, proclaiming, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Unashamedly, 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 excuse me. And, uh, and we're, we're going to be proclaiming it, shouting it from this room, singing some of the songs we've been singing last week, this week, in the, pre, in the weeks to come, and uh, just getting ready for that. But the Sunday after Easter, we're going to talk through the implications of Easter. And this is an amazing opportunity for you who've been building relationships with people for weeks, months, years. This is a time where you get to bring people with you, and we're going to be sharing personal stories uh, that are geared around these implications that Easter gives us as humanity to shine a lot of hope into this world. And it's going to be a beautiful four weeks, and what we hope is is that people that you know, you love, you desire for them to come to know Jesus, that you'll invite them and bring them on Easter Sunday, yes. But then from there, the hope is, is that we spend the next four weeks together celebrating, working through, outlining what Easter really implies here on this earth, where we celebrate Jesus, the Savior and Lord, where our eyes are opened just like your eyes have been opened, we long for people to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. And so that's why I, I'm getting excited this year already. I've been excited for Easter. We're in Lent. I always am pumped to be at Easter because then that means Lent's over. Uh, and so I, I love when Lent's over because then we're not in this repentance and mourning and sorrow of what, the ways that we've gone wrong. We're, we're looking at hope in the future um, at Easter Sunday. And then I can, this time around, I can eat some things that I've not been eating for you know the last little bit that I'm looking really forward to eating again. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's going to be really good. So anyway, Easter. So you guys put that in your mind. And just as you're going about your day, think about not only Easter Sunday, but think about the four weeks after Easter and what Easter implies. And we're going to spend some time as a church doing that. So until then, Lent. We're still here. 40 days of Lent. We're right smack dab in the middle of this thing. And, uh, you know, as I was preparing for tonight, I got a little chuckle because I was reminded of a story that my parents share. I was not alive at the time, but my parents share about my brother and my sister. My sister and brother are three years old, or excuse me, three years apart in age. My sister is the oldest. My brother is the middle. And, uh, and there was this one instance, and for those of you that are the oldest, did you like manipulate your younger siblings growing up? Did you like get them to do things you know they shouldn't do? Anybody do that? Where you like, like you're like, no, here, look, the, the nickel, it's worth more. It's bigger than the dime. You know, did you do any of those kinds of things? It's worth more. It's bigger, right? You did those things, right? Yeah. So like my siblings, their big thing was they would make me do push-ups. And uh, and and they put a quarter on my shoulders. And as I'm doing push-ups, if I got to 20, well, here's how the story goes. My parents were out of the country and, and, and um, we had a babysitter with us and uh, they said it was my fault that our parents had left and they're never coming back. 
That's terrible, isn't it? That's horrible. Don't do this, people. This I years of counseling have gotten me where I'm healed now. I'm just kidding. No, what they would do is, but if I could do 25 push-ups with a quarter on my back without it falling off, they might come home. And so I would get to going on the push-ups and I'd get to 24 and either my sister or my brother just flicked that quarter right off. Sorry, you didn't make it. Start over. You know, this is the love that we shared in my family, you know, growing up. But anyway, it actually was very loving, but it was Maybe not that. That wasn't real loving. But but the but the story. So so here's how the story goes. My sister and my brother are in in the room one day. My my mother's on the outside and she's just kind of enjoying this moment where the two of them were playing and it was happy and everything was good and she was just like, yes, finally a day where there's no fighting, right? And so they're there and 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 they're coloring. And so my mom hears on the outside of the door and she just stands there and she's just enjoying this moment for just a second. She hears my sister look at my brother and say, here, Nate, use the red one. Nate starts, oh, that's really beautiful. That's wonderful. And the next thing my mom hears is, mom, Nate's coloring on the sheets. Right. She was helping him artwork on the sheets in the bedroom. And, uh, and so, you know, that was right after she taught him how to use an ice pick. This was back when he had ice picks, right? An ice pick on the, the ottoman, the leather ottoman. So he just did his initials in that. So who did this? Clearly it was my brother, right? Because he did his initials in it. Uh, anyway, this was the influence that my sister had on my brother growing up. And, um, and it's, it's, it was a really lots of stories, that, that can come from this. But isn't it true how the one who's tattling, oftentimes they're not innocent? Have you ever noticed that? The one who's the one tattling on the one, they're, they're not necessarily always innocent. You know, we're in this series right now, and we're talking about what's good what's not good. And we're celebrating God the Father, who is the one who is the author of good who is the author of life and creation. And, and we, we celebrate him. And we also understand that in that creation and in that way, we've fallen short of what his expectations are for our lives. We understand that. We see it. We see that we're sinful. And, and we're celebrating this. And we're also mourning the fact that not every decision that we make, not every influence that we have in a person's life is holy. And so in this season of Lent, we're repenting for that. And I love, Kristen, your prayer. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's not, it's not that there's a punitive God that's striking us down for our inadequacies. No, it's because of God's kindness and the way he loves us that it makes us want to please God because he delights in us and we want to make God happy. That's where we are during this Lent series that we're in right now. And we've been focusing on this good news because it is indeed good news. Repentance is actually good news. And so we wanna, we wanna do that. And we wanna ask questions of ourselves just to kind of check ourselves of like this. Does our community recognize our church as good news? And so we've been going through these different things through this Lent series that then we ask the question, is this us? Is this us? Are we the ones that the community that we are in recognize us as good news? And tonight's not going to be any different than that. We're going to continue to do that thing. So tonight, here's our key truth. Our need to repent never goes away. 
And you know, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because we're a people that we like to say, I'm sorry, and then we forget about it. We either sweep it under the rug or we move on and, and don't bring it up again because it's a bad thing to bring it up again and all that. It's it just, we like to do that. And so this understanding that for the rest of our lives, there is a life work where we're trying to be holy as our heavenly father is holy. We have this work ahead of us that we, we will not achieve. We will not achieve perfection. But it doesn't mean that we're not striving for righteousness, not striving for holiness, and so thus, this understanding of repentance is something that never stops because every day we're going to do something that's going to be self-motivated as opposed to God-motivated. We're going to miss the mark in some way, but thank goodness for the love of God. Thank goodness for our desire to want to please God, that out of that, we long to repent, and this cycle never ends. However, this cycle does lead to freedom believe it or not. And we're going to get there in just a moment. Tonight, we're in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And uh, while you're kind of getting there in whatever way you're accessing the Word of God, this was, you know, Jesus is teaching that many of those that are kind of other religious leaders, other uh, Jewish um, uh, of people are going to not share in God's kingdom. He had taught that. It's a tough teaching for people to hear. Luke then records this moment. He records this moment that illustrates that Israel had rejected Jesus. Israel had rejected Jesus's teachings and how this was not a good thing and it would not go well with them. Uh, and it kind of does like this with our lives today. So let's check this out. Luke 13, beginning in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replies, well, go tell that fox, Herod, he wasn't calling him pretty, that fox, Herod, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today, tomorrow, and on the third day, that should, that should do something in you right now. On the third day, I will reach my goal. Verse 33, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. See, this is a moment that's only found in the book of Luke. But in this specific instance, there were these Pharisees that were actually friendly to Jesus. So they weren't the Pharisees trying to kill Jesus. They were the Pharisees that were beginning to turn, beginning to to be interested in the things of Jesus, to be interested in how Jesus is functioning. Maybe they were beginning to recognize, oh, Jesus really is from God. There may be Messiah in Jesus here. They were beginning this, and so they were friendly to him. And so what they did was they told Jesus, hey, watch out, Herod is trying to kill you. To which they fully expected Jesus to say, thank you, thank you so much for letting me know. Thank you so much for letting me know. And uh, I'm gonna go ahead and head on out uh, so that I stay safe. And then they would feel good about that. However, Jesus wanted to make sure everybody understood the fox, Herod, again, not beautiful Herod, but really the unprincipled scavenger. The unprincipled scavenger, the evil Herod, the one who wanted to destroy people. He was not going he was not going to take Jesus off course 
of his mission. Now, we understand when we read things like the third day, um, we understand just like Luke and Theophilus, who Luke was writing to, um, that this was bringing to mind the resurrection of Jesus. And so in that lane, we continue in verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, you ready, perk up again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Pretty soon, we're going to be talking about Holy Week. What were they yelling at the beginning of the week? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is also foreshadowing of the things to come. Now, these Pharisees fully expected Jesus to respond in one way, and he responded talking about them. He responded talking about them, and it really confused them, you know, because they, in a lot of ways, thought that, you know, that, that Jesus was going to be amiable or amicable to what they were saying to him, and Jesus actually went, wait, I'm not as concerned about Herod as I am you right now. Everybody knows Herod's this, this scavenger. Everybody knows that. You guys, on the other hand, you think you're doing right, but you've missed the mark. And so he wanted to address that. And so we know that Jesus' destination as he was traveling was going to be Jerusalem. And we knew that in Jerusalem, we now know in, that in Jerusalem, he was going to meet his death. Now, there's some imagery that we have in here of the chickens and all that kind of stuff of how this mother hen kind of gathers her chicks under her wings. This was not an uncommon thing that the Jewish community that Jesus was talking to would have understood because Jewish tradition claimed that Jewish people were under God's wings, kind of like this chicken and the chicks, right? And when a Jewish person then brought a Gentile who was a non-Jewish by culture and religion underneath the wings, then they then became under the wings of God as well. So the other chicks were coming under these wings. Now, the Old Testament also makes mention of Jesus as this eagle. Right, So we've got this Jesus as an eagle hovering over its offspring and uh, protecting Israel under his wings. Also, not only protecting Israel, but also being extremely aggressive towards those who are against Israel, who are not God's people. And so these images here, they're really important for us to understand because this goes to the nature of who God is. And so these images, what they do is they help us understand God's love for God's people. God's love for God's people is strong. And what Jesus is saying is, this divine role, this is me. And you have rejected me. And so this was a sobering moment for all of the people who thought they were doing Jesus a favor here and Jesus actually went, you're pointing the finger at Herod, but you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. So not, don't try to take the attention away from you to somebody else. We're gonna deal with you and your heart. We'll deal with Herod later. And so this is, this is that deal. And so it's kind of like little children. You know, little children, they're notorious for ratting themselves out, aren't they? I mean, it's kind of like the child that comes to you and says, mommy, um, 
Shira just hit me. How about that for a name? Shira. Shira just hit me. And then the mom looks at Tommy boy and says, Well, what'd you do to make Shira hit you? And Tommy boy's like, How'd you know? Right? Because a lot of the times, kids will rat themselves out, they give themselves up. And, and a lot of times, kids will point the finger at somebody else and think, Nobody's gonna know it was really me. Well, this is what Jesus is pointing out to the people of Israel that are not choosing Jesus as Savior. So what's going on here. The Pharisees are telling Jesus that Herod's gonna kill him, and Jesus responds with grief over the spiritual state of Jerusalem, not over Herod. And they're like, how'd you know? What? We're doing you a favor. Now remember, these, these folks were in transition, so this is a a shocking moment, but probably also quite life-changing for them. Now, we also know that young adults are not exempt from this same experiment that I just shared with about children, right? And the same thing is true of young adults that we see here in the, the people, because how many times, how many of you, you took a job because of the money, and people said, watch out, the cost of that job may be more than what that money is. Like I have a friend who was so excited because he, he got this huge raise. I mean, he had gotten a massive raise going from a certain amount of money to a, a six-figure income, so excited. And he was living in Central Texas, but he had to move to California. And everybody's like, $100,000 in California is not the same as it is in Central Texas. And there was this big fear, and, and, but, but he, all he could think about was that amount of money and this, I'm going to make six figures. That's all he could think about. There he goes. He runs off to California, and the next thing you know, he had to come back because he couldn't afford to live there. And it wasn't until he came back that he was able to see what people were talking to him about. I mean, how many times... Do we go our own way thinking one thing, seeing the positive, seeing the thing, and God's going, whoa, 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 pump those brakes. It's not just about that. There's bigger things here that you can't see. This is a big thing that happens. And what Jesus is saying to these people of Jerusalem is that they've rejected God. That they've rejected God and God's prophets for so long. And what, what he longs for is a time when they will quit making such poor decisions and quit pointing the finger at somebody else to take the blame off themselves and instead take responsibility for the way they live their life and the why behind how they live their life. Now, Jesus later on in his ministry gives you know, just a remarkable example that has been so life-changing in my life to help me understand this whole how I view somebody versus how I'm viewing myself. And here's how it goes. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's this idea that we've got this big old plank going around, you know, hanging out of our eye, and, and we're looking at our brother and like, you, know, you got a little something. You know, you got a little something in your teeth or whatever. You know, we want to help him out. And all of a sudden, this plank comes flying out. And we're like smacking him in the face, you know, rather than really helping. And it's like, but we don't even realize what we're doing. But it's because we're focused on this little thing in somebody else's life, but we're not seeing this big thing that's going on in our lives. And we just keep whacking people with the stuff that's going on in our lives. And it's causing all kinds of destruction. And we're wondering why everybody's all black and blue and sore. Why there's all this shrapnel around and we're just like, why is everybody so hurt? It's because we're smacking them upside the head with our life. Trying to point out the little things in their lives. Now everybody knows it, but we can't see it. This is that idea. Here's what we glean from tonight's story. Really simple. Jesus loves you and your heart. Those things go together. Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves your heart. Jesus loves you in spite of your heart sometimes. Jesus loves you because of your heart sometimes, because he created it. Jesus loves you, and Jesus knows your heart. Here's the question for you tonight. Are you guilty of seeing other shortcomings before you see your own? Are you guilty at looking at others and being able to see their shortcomings before you see your own? Is critical your first go-to? Does it feel kind of good to talk about when somebody has a shortcoming because it makes us feel like at least we're not them? Another question, are you guilty of using others' shortcomings as a distraction from yours? You look at other people and you realize, hey, that's going to take the attention off of me. You know, this imposter syndrome that I have right now, people, you know, maybe they won't find out who I really am if they'll keep focusing on this person over here and their shortcomings. If either of these questions, the answer is yes. Why is that? And some, you may be looking at these going, I don't think so, but maybe you need to spend a little bit more time and just ask the Lord if this is you. The question is, why is that? Why would these things be true in our lives? Well, there's an exercise to find out why that we get to do right here, right now, and that is simply to ask the greatest question ever. We get to find out why in our lives by asking the greatest question ever. Now, Kids are wonderful at this question, but as we age, this question begins to lose its luster because we understand the effects of this question. However, if we will ask our Heavenly Father this question, what we will gain is we gain wisdom, insight, and we also gain freedom. We get set free from this trap of comparison here on this earth where we just focus on our relationship with the Lord. So here's the thing. As we enter into this greatest question ever, remember this. God knows our heart and loves us still. That's a different way of saying what I said earlier. But God knows our heart and loves us still. Here's the greatest question ever. Why? It's very simple. Why? 
Why do their actions bother me so much? Why do I want to talk about them so much? Why do I find a little pleasure in their bad choices? Why? Why is this going on inside of me? It's an incredible question to ask because if we'll ask this question to the Lord, God will be faithful to help us see what we can't see and give the the ability to be set free from something that's going on inside of us that's different than what God wants to be going on inside. It's a really cool process, but the problem is is that the fear of the answer is often the times we don't ask the question. Fear of the answer is oftentimes. However, if we will let it, this process, this question, it leads us and it leads others to freedom. Here's the big question. Is this us? Is this us? Because this requires forgiveness, grace, mercy. It requires us to see people the way God sees people. Are we known in our community for being encouraging or are we known in our community for being critical? Are we known for seeing what's not right or are we known for seeing what is right? Are we known in this way? Are we known to point a finger somewhere else rather than taking responsibility ourselves? What are we known as a community of believers? And just understand, you as one, you represent all of us. So how you are everywhere you go, you represent legacy. So how is legacy known? How is legacy known by the way you live your life Is this us? Are we quick to forgive? Or are we critical and cutting and secretly like it when people get what we think they deserve? That's ugly, isn't it? It's hard to say it out loud. It's hard to receive it and think it about ourselves, but it can be true. This is why we say things during this season, our need to repent never goes away. Because there are things we're aware of and there are things that God needs to illuminate for us. There's darkness in our heart that we don't know exists, that we need God to shine the light. What where our job is, is to give God the ability to enter into the heart, to shine the light so that we can do something about that. We can allow God to do the healing in our lives. We can heal from past hurts. We can heal from the things that have defined what our reality is today that we need to be set free from. And God has the ability to do that. And so this is why I say our need to repent, it never goes away. And believe it or not, this is good news. This is good news. Because what is it that leads to repentance again? Is it God's judgment? Is it fear based by God the Father? No. It's God's kindness. It's God's love. It's God's generosity, forgiveness. It's God's mercy, peace. It's God's patience with us. It's God's gentleness. It's God's security that we get. Those are the things that lead us to repentance. And so believe it or not, when we ask questions like why, why is it that I see people this way? Why is it that I do these things? It's good news because it allows the Lord to soften our hearts. It allows the Lord to do things in our lives that we cannot do ourselves. We get set free from comparison. We get set free from judgment. We get set free from all of those things that are so prevalent on our earth. This is good news. That's why we gotta be good news people. Good news people, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus set this in motion. Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and out of that teaching, we learn today 
and we get to evaluate our lives. So can we ask why together? You're not alone. Don't think you're the only one that has the thoughts in your head. (laughs) Don't think you're the only one that talks about people the way you talk about people. The question is why? And let's just ask the question together. And then together, we get set free. Father, we need you. This is that moment where we look and we go, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe why you came to this earth. I believe that you love us and Lord, you know our hearts. I believe these things. Lord, it's so hard to believe at the same time because Lord, we know ourselves. Lord, thank you for knowing us even better than we know ourselves. Loving us, delighting in us, seeing us for who we are. Lord, I pray that that delight, that love, that kindness will lead us to spend the remainder of our days repenting of where we've missed the mark because, Lord, our first and foremost thing is we want to please you. We want you to be made known. We want you to be famous. We want the real Jesus to change lives on this earth. And so, Lord, will you change us tonight? We ask this through the name of Jesus. Amen.